Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1197, with guest Ryan Crockhor. Recorded Thursday, September 10th, 2015. Hey, guess what? What? It's time for .NET Rocks. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing we're here, then. Yeah. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. Here we are again. Uh, I was up in Boston last night for a sort of an MVP get-together. No kidding. The local MVPs saw our friend Pat Hines. Ah, that's lovely. Yeah. And Scott Kate was in town, too. He was... Uh, oh, because he's out of Phoenix, isn't he? He's in Phoenix, Scottsdale. Yeah. And uh, he's got a client up here, so he decided to stop in and crash it and and um, talk to Dora, the MVP lead, Dora nice. Chan. Yeah. And I, I was, I did a user group talk last night, first time in a, a couple of years. In fact, the last time I've been in front of that group was with you at the 2012 road trip. Right. And basically, it's more, um, how shall I say, you know, Satya Nadella really changed Microsoft a lot. And it's really coming local now with the, with the community, with MVPs, the, the new Microsoft, um, evangelism, you know, uh, community thing is called dx now yeah and uh so so they're really really interested in what the community is doing and what they have to say and they're supporting the community and that means bringing customers and developers together and that means um networking with everything that they've got and it's just incredible cool yeah you're going to be hearing a lot more about that i'm nice. sure but i got a good better know framework today okay all right, dude, what do you got? By the way, um, you we're framework every day. Yeah, by the way, we're recording uh, this on the 10th of September. And yesterday, the 9th of September, uh, Apple had this great big announcement about this new gigantic iPad. Yep. With a pen and yep. a keyboard. And hmm, that's a pretty good idea. It's an iPad Pro. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, who comes out on stage but Microsoft? Yeah, showing off Office 365 on the new iPad. That's cool. It is very cool, and it just goes to show you what how different things are. My better know framework today is about Windows 10. It's a little tip, and mm -hmm. now you know that the command prompt is upgraded, and yep. it's very cool. Supports cut and paste and all that. But I don't know if you know, it also supports opacity. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you go to the command prompt title bar, right click on it, click properties in the color tab. There's a slider at the bottom of that tab that changes the opacity. So you can make your command windows transparent mm -hmm. or semi transparent. Is I it really opacity or is it see throughicity? It's see throughicity. 
<laughs> I just thought that was really cool. And then I thought, wow, I'm not sure I would want to see that. But, um, you know, maybe I do. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it's an interesting it, – it, it's just a choice now, right? Yeah. It's like, do you want a little transparency or opacity – you know, through into the background. I'm, I'm not sure. It's in, I'm not sure. My background because, tends to be dark anyway. Yeah. Well, if your background is complicated and you're trying to read text, that yeah, might make good. it difficult. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but it is a cool new feature. And I thought I'd highlight that there. Love it. Yeah. So there's no 10 URL or anything. There that's you just go. It. Just, it's, right. If you running win 10 and you open up the command window, you can check, you can adjust its see-throughicity. Just in see-throughicity. That's <laughs> it, Richard. <laughs> Who's talking to us today, man? Uh, grabbed a comment off a of show 1085, the one we did, uh, with David Simons. This is a while ago. We were talking about, uh, he had a whole viewpoint on a spectrum of different data stores, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about graph and object databases as well as relational and so on. Mm-hmm. And a great comment right at the end from, uh, from clearly a DBA, Mike Henderson, who said, uh, using multiple data stores to meet your data needs, I'm jumping on that bandwagon. Yeah. I've been a full-time SQL Server DBA and have an MC, uh, SA certification in SQL Server 2012. So wow. the impulse to look at data as will fit into a SQL Server database is great. Like that's the way you tend to see stuff when that's the tools you've got. Yeah. And furthermore, I work for a GIS company. So, you know, geo, uh, distributed data. Mm-hmm. That's really stuff, tough stuff to work with. We often struggle to get people thinking about their data distinct from the dominant GIS technology vendor. Once one starts thinking about their data and then their data store, the polyglot data store notion starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I just love the idea that here's a DBA going, you know what? I should look at the shape of my data rather than look at the shape of my data store mm-hmm. and decide how I'm going to store it from there. Mm. Uh, certainly becoming more and more prevalent. It's not that not not as big a surprise as it used to be. Once upon a time, everything was just rows and columns. It's not true anymore. And that comment very relevant for today's discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike, thanks so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media that we use. We post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you write a comment there, we'll read it on the show. And you can get a mug as well. And that brings us to our guest, Ryan Crocker. He's a 20-year database veteran who started out many years ago writing his first stored procedure for SQL Server 4.2. Oh, my goodness. Good Lord. Many cursors, joins, stored procedures, etc. later, he began exploring the exciting free world of NoSQL solutions. After spending three years helping customers move their applications to Azure and learning about running a variety of NoSQL options on Azure... Ryan wanted more, so he joined the Document DB product team in Redmond as a program manager. He helped shape the future of Azure Document DB, Microsoft's very own NoSQL database as a service. When not geeking out, you can usually find him up a mountain, on board a bicycle, or a snowboard, finding the gnarliest and most stylish way to get to the bottom. Safely. Safely, Ryan? Is <laughs> <laughs> that an afterthought? <laughs> no, that, that was an afterthought, um, and, and and it's especially apparent because I've just come off crutches after after tearing ligaments in my ankle three months ago coming down a, a mountain. So, oh, um, sometimes not so safely, and sometimes not so stylishly either. And I didn't <laughs> really know about that. We didn't talk about that, did we? I just sort of guessed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just sound so, like the kind of guy who would like to go down a mountain on your face. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes my face, sometimes my butt, sometimes on the bike. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> 
I had a buddy once upon a time, and I'm from British Columbia where we have mountains, who didn't feel like he had a good ride if his bike made it to the bottom in one piece. <laughs> that was just the way he thought. Like, And he, was- he every time he came back to the apartment happy, he was holding shards of his bike. Oh. <laughs> Well, it was pretty funny because after, after my accident that, 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 that caused the, the, the ligament damage, my very first thing to the, to the bike patrol guys was, how's my bike? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind the fact that I'm, 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 I'm broken and bloody and torn to pieces. My first comment was, how's my bike? <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. So yeah. we learned about, I learned about Documenti B talking to Julie Lerman the other day about her experiences with Aurelia and, uh, Node. And uh, we sort of said, wow, this seems like something we really ought to look into. So here we are. Here we are. You're the guy. Tell us about it. So, I mean, yeah, Document DB. Um, you know, I think like like I, like you mentioned in, in, in my bio, you know, I have been working with data for like pretty much my entire career. I started out just kind of like, you know, in, in the data world and that's sort of where I stayed. Um, and, and for me, one of those kind of aha moments was, was when I first came across a document database. Um, and I went, what? I don't have to ki- try and munge everything in, 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 into this kind of set columns. Um, and all my rows don't have to look the same. Wow. What madness is this? <laughs> what madness? Database and, as here, hold welcome. this for me. <laughs> here, hold yeah. this. I love it. <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of craziness is this? So, so. Uh, I, I really looked at that and went, gee, the things that you can do with us. And, and, you know, it, it really, you know, we, we don't build applications like we used to build applications. You know, when I started out building stuff, we used to go into these like month long kind of analysis phases and then these like really long planning phases. And we'd come up with our data models and we'd do these really complicated ERD diagrams that fold an entire wall. And, you know, <clears throat> but then we'd go into like a, a one year or two year kind of product development cycle. And, and that was it. You know, your, your product was fixed for the, for, for that period. So sure. it was okay that your schema was fairly rigid. I mean, Once you've got data is- in the schema, changing schema is really a big deal. Oh, it's, it, it's incredibly difficult. Um, and, you know, we don't build applications like that anymore. We now build applications where we're rolling up new, new things. On, on a weekly basis. And, and, you know, you never know when you start out a project, how many times, you know, when you started out a project and you look back at it and the data schema is exactly what it was when you started out with, with the crazy yeah. idea, you know, sure. years ago. Yeah, it's never the case, you know, so you want something that you can kind of just roll with it and, 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 and start working with it. But that's not saying that you don't have to do any thinking about how you're going to model your data. You know, yeah. absolutely not. You still need to kind of do some thought about, Hey, you know, I've got these kind of domain objects and, and this is how they relate to each other. And this is how I'm going to query them. And this is how I'm going to write them and that kind of stuff. So you, you got to do a little bit of thinking still and a little bit of planning still. Um, but the nice thing is, is that it's now just flexible and agile and you can kind of just roll with those changes. And as your application changes, your data just changes with the application. So being a guy who's used SQL for just about everything for the last 20 years, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, except for small client side caches and things, um, uh, I'm surprised at, I, I'm surprised and, and also it takes a little bit of, I don't know, beating over my head to get the idea that of, of how fast document databases are. And, you know, and, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, I, I like to use a kind of an analogy of, you know, when, 
if you cast your mind back to the, the days of college when you sat and listened to a boring professor telling you how to normalize data and you went to the third normal form or fifth normal form or whatever it was, you know, <clears throat> basically the concept is, is you take this thing that you're working with and you break it down into little pieces and you store those little pieces in the database. Yeah. But then every time your application wants to work with this thing, you have to get the database engine to go and reassemble this thing from all the little pieces sure. um, and return the thing back to you. And then when you your application gives the database back this thing, the database engine has to go and kind of break it all up again and store it as as, as these pieces. Right. Well, a document database just says, hey, keep keep your entities as your entities and 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 store them as that. And that takes a lot of work off 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 the database engine. You know, it doesn't need to kind of do all these joins and reassembly of of your entities. And we we have talked about NoSQL databases, document databases before. So I understand that the power of retrieval is really in the indexing. And yeah. I know in uh, RavenDB anyway, that is done. And I'm I'm sure Mongo to another uh, to another extent uh, to a similar extent. You, does this sort of indexing in the background on the fly is mm-hmm. is that what happens in the document db world too so one of the things that you know when we started out with with this project you know when 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 a, an internal team in microsoft approached the data platform group and said hey look we're looking for a nosql document database um but the ones we've looked at kind of don't work for us because of the following reasons one of those reasons was what they really wanted to do with the index. You know, we, we, we really wanted to take this notion of, of, um, schema agnostic, because I don't like the schema free word. Yeah. Um, schema agnostic kind of notion and really take that to the next level. You know, uh, storing, storing documents at different schemas. Yeah. That's one thing. That's, that's all pretty cool. But, you know, when you start actually defining these index paths and telling your database engine how to get, to various paths of your document and indexing those various paths of the document, you're, you're, you're sort of inferring a schema anyway. Mm, right. And, and then when the data that you store changes, well, now you got to go back and you got to go and update all these kinds of paths, right? Mm. So, um, one of the driving goals for us, um, at DocumentDB was to, to see if we can get away from that kind of concept. You know, mm. we, we really want the engine, the database engine to, to do a lot more work for you and, and, it's it's a journey for us, and we 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 started out when we originally released um, GA back in April. You know, we we apply a default indexing policy where we will make a, a, a walk through the JSON document, and we'll index every property and every field and every kind of you know leaf node in that tree, and we'll index it for you. Um, and you don't have to go and define anything. You don't have to go and define any paths. You don't have to go and define any kind of settings. You just insert your document and immediately it's indexed and you can query on everything in that document. Now, now you say immediately, but that's yep. a relative word, isn't it? Um, if you're, if you're talking in, 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 in milliseconds and, 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 you know, uh, very single digit milliseconds, then mm-hmm. yes, it's a relative term. So, but, but immediately being, Hey, that document's inserted. The index is updated straight away. All right. So, so the first time, let's say you, you put a document in a, uh, in the database, mm-hmm. right at that first moment, uh, it, all of the, the fields are indexed essentially, right? Effectively, we, I mean, JSON is just a, a hierarchical kind of document, sure. right? We're able to walk that, build a tree, um, and, and index that full tree, um, effectively. Okay. Uh, 
the way we do it is different to how other people have done done this before. You know, we've flipped it on its head, and you know, we've done some some really cool things and some clever things in that index engine. In fact, we built a whole new way of indexing documents specifically for this product. And let's um, say I've got a million uh, million documents in my database, and all of a sudden I want to uh, add a new field or change a, a field or something like that. Does that re-index happening just as in uh, just as instantly? So every time you write that document, the index for that document is updated, right? So um, as soon as you write the document, the in, the index is consistently kind of maintained at the same time. Um, so it doesn't go and re-index the entire um, collection. Um, All right, but so. While we do kind of apply this default index policy, we allow you to kind of go in and tweak and change and and, and optimize because our our default might not work in in your specific scenario. But sure. the idea is is that we want to kind of apply this this default to get you going, and 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 give you eighty percent of what you kind of need. And then as you start understanding your application and you start understanding what your data looks like and your query patterns and what you're doing frequently that kind of stuff, you can go in and tweak this mm. and you can change that. When you change that index policy for the collection, that's where we go and apply an online transform and we rebuild the index basically. Okay. But if you take, if you take a document out and you put a new field into the document and you reinsert that back into the database, the index is immediately updated and it knows about that new field. Okay. And, and as, in terms of performance metrics, I know, you know, this is probably what people want to know in scalability. <laughs> the, yeah. Those numbers to me have just been unbelievably high. What are, can you give us an idea? So, which numbers are you talking about? I'm just talking about you know relative to let's say a, a SQL Server or or something like that, especially when you have lots and lots of data. I guess you know the the, the trick with with um, with with giving kind of like performance benchmarks and stuff is that you know every operation is 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 different, right? So sure. you know people, people often come to me and say, well, you know, how many how many writes per second can can your database engine do? And I say, well, it depends on what you're writing. Yeah, um, sure, of course. You write a a one k kind of JSON document with f- three properties in it, and you write a five hundred and twelve k JSON property with or document with fifteen thousand properties in it. The number of writes of those two things are going to be very 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 different. Um, so, you know, in terms of kind of, we, we've built this thing for scale and we've built it for performance. Um, and, and, and the difference here again between us and, and, and a SQL server, for instance, is generally in a SQL server, when you want to get better performance, you throw more memory and, and, and more CPUs and, you know, you, 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 you scale up, right? And, and you buy a bigger and bigger and bigger box. Um, with us, as you want to kind of, you want to keep growing your performance, Document DB is really built on the scale out notion. So you, you just keep adding these kind of 10 gig partitions and in, and, and we'll just kind of scale linearly for you. So if you get, you know, a thousand writes per second out of one collection and you add a second one, you'll get 2000 writes per collection out of, you know, out of the two. And as long as you kind of spread your data out, um, um, evenly across those partitions, then you'll just get this linear scale. And, and in theory, there is no limit to how many writes per second we can do. How, so you can just, and I'm looking at the pricing here for the S2 collection, which is a 10 gig store with a thousand writes a second. Uh, and that's 60 bucks a month. Yep. But the scale so, limit is a hundred of those. <laughs> you can, I mean, so, so the idea call is, us is that, for more. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, the idea with that is, is that 
that that S2 gives you um, a thousand uh, request units per second, right? Now, right. a request unit doesn't doesn't map one to one to a, a an I/O operation. So, okay. um, to give you an idea, if you do a point read by an ID, that's usually around one to um, kind of request units per second. If you do a query, depending on your query, you know you can have anything from you know five RUs up to a couple of hundred RUs, depending on sure. what the what the query is. And then writes are usually around about ten to twenty, depending on um, what consistency model you have chosen and what what your indexing policy is and that kind of stuff. So, so that's kind of how we map these these request units are this like normalized charge. So when you see a thousand, it's not I can do a thousand writes per second. Um, it's I can do operations that consume a thousand request units worth per second. Right. Um, mm. But the idea is, is that, you know, so let's say for argument's sake, um, you know, uh, a write costs me 20 request units. So at a thousand, I can do 200 of those per second. If I wanted to do a thousand of those per second, I take five of these collections and then insert, spread my inserts across those five collections. And how do if you I spread want- across multiple collections? Ah, so, um, there are, there are a number of different kind of strategies. Um, and again, every, every application is going to be different and every scenario is going to be different. Sure. So today we have built into our SDKs some logic that says you tell the SDK, uh, how, what, what your strategy is. Um, and the SDK will then effectively figure out which collection to go write the record to or which collections to go and read the record from. So a strategy could potentially be, uh, consistent hashing, right? So you've got 10 collections, you have some kind of a key, and we will, um, using a consistent hashing algorithm, we will figure out which one of those 10 collections to write that record into. Um, and, and, and that today is based in the, in the SDK layer. We're starting some early work to kind of move that to make it more abstract and put it at the server layer for you so that, you know, it's completely abstracted from your application. Right. Um, but the idea is, is that, you know, we've done it in, at the SDK level because you can actually now, um, you can actually go and build your own partition resolver, right? So you may have a specific case in your application where you want to, sh- you want to partition data in some custom way. So with it being in the SDK, you can actually go write a custom partition resolver that partitions the data any which way you like. And you give that to our SDK and our SDK will then use that to go and kind of apply that 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 strategy when it when it partitions your data for you and and so i'm just bouncing around some ideas of partitioning strategies and i'm thinking sql server because that's my background but it you know this is kind mm-hmm. of a federation strategy too it's like okay well i'm going to do geo distribution here so all the chicago records are written into one collection and all the la records are written into another collection absolutely yeah that's one that i mean that's that that is one strategy absolutely um another strategy could be um, you know, in a, in a multi-tenanted scenario, for instance, I've got, uh, tenants, uh, tenant ID one to a thousand are in this collection, a thousand or one to two thousand are in that collection. Right. And then you may have the case of, Hey, I've got these like really five important tenants or customers. I want to kind of move them out of that shared pool and go and give them dedicated capacity all on their own. And right. And you can, in your shard map, for instance, you can say, all right, well, this this tenant is actually in that collection all on his own, and then you can kind of isolate that tenant completely. Mm. So you know that that sort of lookup based logic, or you know, we see a lot of people doing time series based um, stuff. So you've got an IoT scenario where you've got devices that are logging records, 
and you know that, all right, the, these seven days worth of data is in this set of collections over here. Mm. That seven days worth of data is in that set of collections over there. Yep. Got it. Um, and you so, can query across all of those things at the same time then. Easy. Yeah. So again, our SDK kind of says, well, you tell me what your strategy is. So let's say the strategy was this, this range based lookup, right? For, for time series data. And you say, all right, I'm looking for records for this device for this time range. And the SDK then goes and looks in that shard map effectively and says, all right, records for this device for that time range will be in those collections over there. So I'm going to go off and I'm going to go query those collections. And it will then do, you know, fetch records from each of those collections for you and then present you a single kind of response. You know, in talking to Kim Tripp all these years, it, it sounds like the science that's behind SQL Server just – you know, not hidden. I mean, it's all just right there for you to, to manage yourself. Am I wrong yeah, about that? No, not at all. You know, I think, um, some of the stuff that, that, you know, we, we, we're now looking at and going, well, you know, if we take this and we put it in at, at, at the server layer, well, then does that mean we kind of have to then hide that away from the user and then make it less configurable and less customizable and less in your right. control? So putting it at the SDK level means that you're able to customize and control this, um, you know, completely. So both have upsides and downsides. You know, the sure. downside of it being in the SDK level means that, yeah, well, now if you access the database directly, you need to kind of understand what that sharding strategy is because right. the database is just going to have data all over the place. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yep. Indeed. And, 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 and I think the trick for us is trying to find that balance of where we – where we kind of give you that um, um, that responsibility and that code control, and where we kind of abstract that and and, and take some of that on ourselves. I want I, I like this ability to adjust velocity too. Like in the time series thing, the current time block would be an S three super fast, as fast as it could go. And as yeah. soon as it's sort of done, you can wind it down to an S one. It costs a quarter as much because you just don't have as much traffic on it anymore. Yep, makes a lot of sense. You know, we and 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 this is some of the benefits you get from from DocumentDB being built as a service, right? It gives you that kind of fine grained control. It's not like, well, now it's on a super extra large VM. I want to go and scale this down. So, all right, I'm going to take it and go put it on a smaller VM. You know, um, it, it's just, hey, all you do is you go and kind of move the slider on that collection, and suddenly it's on a on a different throughput kind of speed. Right. Um, you know, we've got customers that that do massive write workloads between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. in the morning. And then for the rest of the day, you know, for the 22 hours in the day, their workload can easily fit into that S1 kind of collection. So what they yep. do is they run their their database at an S3 for two hours of the day, and we charge you just for two hours at that at that performance level. And then for the other 22 hours of the day, they just scale it back down and they charge and we charge them a quarter of the price for the for the other 22 hours. Um, and that's the kind of flexibility that you get. And, you know, that, that, that operation just takes seconds and, and it's done. It's no moving of VMs and moving of data around and rebuilding clusters and stuff. It's just slider, slider and, and, and you're done. This is the shiny part of utility computing. It's like <laughs> for the hour that I'm going to do the work, give me all the power in the universe. Right. And then when I'm yeah. done, I wind it down. So yeah. nice. And that's where, and that's where this kind of notion of platform as a service kind of really comes in. You know, we, we we speak to lots and lots and lots of customers, um, and and so many customers are kind of moving to us because they're tired of of having to manage VMs and they're tired of having to kind of do this 
scale operations and right. setting up availability clusters and you know they're just tired of doing that stuff because that's not what they do they're they're building financial services software or they're building mobile applications or they're building business applications they're they're, they're tired of of having to kind of maintain this heavy complex kind of infrastructure how they're are you able to tell when you're overloading a given collection like in terms of just too much traffic's coming at it like what kind of metrics do you can you see yeah, so every time you exceed your 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 quota, your per second RU cost, right? Right. So let's say at an S2, that's one thousand request units per second. If you did something that exceeded that, you 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 get back um, an HTTP four twenty nine response, which is request rate too large, um, hmm. and that and that you can actually then you know part of that response also tells you how long to wait until your debt is kind of cleared before re-executing the command. So you'll get back a 429 that says, look, you've exceeded your quota, wait five milliseconds and try again. And you try the operation again, and this time it'll go through because you've kind of paid back your debt. Oh, interesting. But hmm. this is something that you need to know as a coder too. Is sure. that you can't yeah. just barf on that error. It's a retry. You want to use something yeah, like so Kali. That's, that's a retry. So in a future version of the SDK, we're actually um, busy testing it now. In a future version of the SDK, there will be built-in retry strategy. So you can actually say how many times you want to retry um, and the SDK will just automatically honor the, the 429 retry wait period and it'll just retry for as many times as you've told it to retry. There's a great tool out there called Poly yep. and uh, that's uh, on GitHub, P-O-L-L-Y and that is a client-side C-sharp uh, library, PCL library actually. Okay. Uh, allows developers to express transient exception handling policies, retry, retry oh. forever, wait and retry. And I've used it and it's wonderful. I should yeah. actually go check that out. Yeah. I'm adding good. it to the show notes. Awesome. Fine, dude. Yep. Make that a better Noah framework. Holy man. Yeah, it was. It was actually. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. I like to make There's sure. There's so many. I didn't... We really need a library of those. Yeah. But, uh, this seems like a good time to, uh, break. So you know what time that is, Richard? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Absolutely. It's, time for me to repopulate my collection of hash codes <laughs> <laughs> hash codes yeah well that was subtle <laughs> uh, no i just had uncomfortable pause there i had something in my throat nice it's actually time to give away a music and video collection of music to code by this is a set of 25 minute pomodoro sized quiet and groovy instrumentals specifically designed to promote focus it'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with music to code by, as are lots of other people. So see what all the fuss is about. Go to mtcb.pwop.com. And uh, I had a, a few days ago, I saw this tweet from Richard Dizwart. He said, I had a nasty knockout JS problem for hours. And it, I played the music to code by sample three times and solved it. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom all. Nice. <laughs> I can't explain it, folks. It's just kind of magic voodoo. So, uh, actually, I can't explain it. It's not all that difficult. So, dude, who's our winner? Today's winner is Stephen Woolston from Brisbane, Australia. Congratulations, Stephen. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for you, Stephen. Hello, the clappers. Hello, the clappers are back. And Stephen just won the Music to Code by set, including a documentary that I did on Blu-ray. It's over two hours long on the making of it. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, 
And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we'd like to ask our guests, Ryan, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? <clears throat> the new Surface Pro 4. Oh, wait, that hasn't been announced yet. Um, <laughs> what? But I would buy what? 10 of them. <laughs> leak, leak. <laughs> uh, uh, based, on all, based on all the rumors that I've heard and read, one um, might I would speculate. buy one of those at least. All right, good. Not interested in an iPad Pro? No, I like pens rather than pencils. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but have you ever had a $100 pencil? <laughs> <laughs> do I, the question is, do I still have to shop on that $100 pencil? And and can I buy an eye sharpener for my eye eyes? sharpener? Nice. That's what my glasses are, eye sharpeners. All right, very good. We've talked about data lakes on this show as being a, a, a repository for disparately shaped data, where you can just start throwing data in there and somehow make sense of it. Is there any relationship between uh, DocumentDB and a data lake? Uh, so we're, we're busy working with the Azure Data Lake team um, to do that integration. So you will be able to kind of um, take data out of document DB and dump it into the lake. Um, it may be through another Azure service called Azure Data Factory, where you can actually run these Azure Data Factory pipelines on your transactional data in, in document DB, uh, take that data, maybe transform it if you want to, and then dump it directly into the lake or pass it into Hadoop using ADF, kind of run your, run, run your stuff there and then dump it into the lake. You know, a, a number of different options. And I, and I guess that's what really excites me about, you know, the Azure data services is that eventually we're not all there yet, but yeah. eventually there will be this kind of nice integrated kind of flow that allows you to do real time analysis and online transactions and, and big data kind of map reduce jobs and, you know, all of that kind of stuff all hopefully seamlessly. But now, um, you know, is there a situation in which maybe you're taking data from, I don't know, say two or three different sources that have mm -hmm. slightly different shapes and maybe you just want to create two or three different document DBs. Uh, is that smart or at what point do you say, you know what, this is just too much coordination. <laughs> Let's use a data lake. Um, you know, I think, I think the, the, the use cases for, for, uh, the two are, are very different. I think a data lake is more for, you know, exactly what you said. It's go store a whole bunch of things in there and then we'll make sense of it later. Whereas, uh, I, I see document DB as being my online transactional kind of stuff. Sure. It, 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 data that's there for my applications, for my, for my web apps, for my portals, for my phone apps, whatever. Um, well, so you wouldn't try to, often, you wouldn't try to coordinate two, you know, similar but different document schemas. Um, you know, you could, um, you know, where, where, where you have potentially maybe a mobile app and a web app trying to kind of use the same similar kind of data, then you could potentially have different views of the same data and, and, and be using a single document database. Absolutely. But if you've got, you know, data from all sorts of different systems and they're all different things and they're all got different kind of workloads and patterns, then 
yeah, trying to kind of put that all into one document database would be really, really tricky. Gotcha. Um, you get really getting this idea of if you were going to build it, if you're building a data warehouse and you've got a document data store, what's the mm-hmm. ETL for that? Like, what would what would it take to transform this data into loaded in your data warehouse? Where would you put it? Ah, so you know, you can you can have that data sitting in in in, in document DB, for instance, and let's say you had um, a SQL OLAP kind of warehouse. Um, yeah. You could do something like you could take that data um, and you can extract it out using the document DB Hadoop connector, for instance, and do a bunch of processing on that. Use Scoop to then load that up into SQL and populate your, um, you know, your your fact tables from that, and, the, and then build your cubes if you wanted to do it that way. Um, so there are a whole bunch of different options, and, and and you can choose exactly you know what it is you wanted. If your warehouse was HBase and and you know you wanted to that kind of scenario again you could use our dupe connector pull the data out dump it into hbase you can use um azure data factory to kind of move that data transform it on the fly as it's as it's being extracted so there's your etl you know the extract the transform and then load it wherever wherever you want out of out of adf you could even take it out of one document database transform it and then load it back into another document database right so the options are um are, are there um it's just a question of how well you're going to be able to organize it. I mean, the, one of the strengths of a document yeah. database is that I'm not confined to particular data types or particular organization types. It's just a blob of JSON. Yeah. You, you know, you can continue to use the same data store. You're updating your app and changing some of these elements. Nothing's going to break. It's just a question of how easy it is to query those things. If there's yeah. elements missing from one record that are in another record, the missing ones, they're just going to return nulls when you ask for those items. Speaking of ways to query it, I know you have an SDK and stuff, but um, are there any higher level extractions? Of course there are, but tell us about them. Like, can we use Link? Does it make sense to to use any other kind of ORMs on yeah, the client so, side? You know, I think uh, like most, uh, like many Azure services, there's uh, we all start off with a REST with a REST layer, um, and that's what everything kind of goes through is the services REST layer, and then all our SDKs, um, you know. They they then use that REST layer um, to send transactions to 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 the service. So if you were building something that couldn't use one of our SDKs, or you wanted to go build your own SDK, like some the community has already started building uh, Go SDKs, Ruby SDKs, PHP SDKs, you know all of that kind of stuff that we're not producing as official SDKs. Um, the community has already kind of started and and and, and building new SDKs uh, against our REST API. Great. So then, you know, in each of the SDKs, if you're in the .NET SDK, for instance, and you're a .NET developer and you love using Link, then we've built a Link provider in the .NET SDK that'll kind of do um, uh, that. That you can then kind of code against the 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 Link provider. If you're a Node.js developer, um, we've we're working on tighter integration into things like um, the new JavaScript. Uh, chaining functionality or language integrated query that's in, that's that's coming in the new JavaScript, right? Which is like underscore low dash like kind of thing. So you'll be able to write language integrated queries inside of Node and and, and inside of JavaScript. Um, so you know our SDKs kind of make you feel um, they're built specifically for that language, and therefore they will look slightly differently, or they'll look slightly different. But the idea is, is that, you know, when you're a Java developer, you want to be able to do things that, that you do in Java. And when you're in .NET, you want to be able to do things that, that you do in .NET. So we have so, a yeah. Java SDK. We have a JavaScript SDK. 
a C sharp SDK. You uh, said there's Python a Python. There's a Python and a Node.js SDK. Yeah. Node.js. That's pretty yeah. good. And have you engaged people outside the Microsoft community, like in the in the startup community and the you know the Lamp Stack or all of those things that you you find people are are digging this across the board? You know, I think one of the things that that um, we we still find surprising is when we go and speak to um, people outside of the um, you know typical Microsoft ecosystem that that know about Azure, and then we kind of say, hey. Yeah, actually, we do have a Python SDK, and they're like, "What? Microsoft's got a Python SDK, and you can, <laughs> run, yeah. and you can run Python apps on Azure." You know, what madness is this? So, again, the other day, I was I was down in the valley, and 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 we were doing uh, a bunch of sessions there, um, and people were just amazed that you know we have full Node support, and you know you can write Node.js applications and 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 talk to Document Database or Document DB, and people were like, "Geez, that's I, I never knew Microsoft did that." So. We, we actively engage in that kind of community and we really want to, um, that's, that's one area where we quite passionate about and spend a lot of time, um, in that area is trying to engage the community and even the .NET community. You know, we, we, we really do want to encourage the .NET community to kind of get involved and, and, and start, um, and, and, and building stuff. And that's why, you know, I, I really enjoy working with, with people like Julie who, who you know grabs that stuff and kind of then gives back to the community and shares our learnings and and, and builds utilities and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, that that's really what we so want to encourage. Yeah, I mean, you know, you opened the show by saying how Microsoft is really about the community and we want to engage, you know, the community and we want to bring customers in and, and we want to listen to the customers and take their feedback and help that shape the way our products go in the future. Um, and that really is one of the driving visions for almost every Microsoft. You know. Yeah. And, and it's really true. It's really true. And, and I take what you say about, you know, showing people outside the Microsoft community what's going on in Azure. I, I've had that same experience over and over again. They're just blown away. And especially when you show them the configurability and just the interface to it, they're just like, wow. Yeah. If you want to blow somebody's mind, that's what you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm just looking at the list of uh, available SDKs. So obviously .NET, Java, yeah, Python, yeah. Node, yeah, which is interesting is Node. There is you, it of course has support for JavaScript. That's not really an SDK per se. I guess it is. Yeah, yeah. What about the qu- SQL query language? SQL query against a document DB. What are you doing? What devilry is this? <laughs> <laughs> What wizardry is this? Um, you know, it's really interesting. And, and and the first time I kind of spoke to customers about our SQL query grammar, and they were like, SQL? What? No SQL. <laughs> I thought this was a NoSQL world. But, you know, SQL is just um, structured query language. You know, it doesn't yep. mean relational. There's nothing that, that means that I can't say select something from somewhere where some condition is true. Um, you know, and we've just taken that construct and we've applied it to, to a document database. Um, hey, get me these documents or parts of the document and shape it like this from this collection or sub part of the collection where some condition is true. And, you know, there we go. And, and we return documents for you. So, you know, so that's the base that, that's our grammar, our query grammar language. But like, like I said, you know, if you're in C sharp and you want to write link, well, that's great. Write your link. And then we have the, our link provider then just translates what you've, what you've written in link into that SQL query grammar. Passes across the server and executes. Huh. Um, wow. 
it's really really fascinating stuff it's, and, it's, and yeah it's not the only yeah you know we just presume sequels to query language i'm thinking back to michael stonebreaker i mean he he had developed it with ingress totally different query language and the yeah, syntax I mean, you've got I mean, here looking at the document db sequel language this could be link as well it's yeah. not that different no it's not it's not at all and what we really wanted to do is, is we really wanted to lower the barrier to entry uh, for people that it, that are coming from a SQL world, right? We didn't want to go and invent a whole new language and, and, and make people kind of understand this whole new language and this whole new uh, grammar. You know, we, we, we understood that majority of people are in some kind of a relational world, whether it be Microsoft's relational database or some other relational database, um, and they're fairly used to writing SQL. Um, so... Let's, let's bring that and, and bring that knowledge and that experience across. I'm sure there's some subtle differences because we don't have the luxury of being bound to a schema. So, you know, there are some subtle differences in our query grammar, but for the large part, we've tried to keep it, um, as close to kind of, you know, ANSI SQL as, as, as people understand. Mm. Well, it sort of punches the hole in the, you know, the argument against stuff like document DB, which is like, well, I'm going to have to write a lot of code now to do all my querying. No, you know, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the 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 query is 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 just a SQL kind of query, or you know, you can build a stored procedure that's written in JavaScript, um, store that on the server, and then call the stored procedure from your client applications, or you can write language integrated query. And in, in I'm sorry, I'm not overwriting a stored procedure in JavaScript. I'm <laughs> chi- I got chills. I'm just I'm, hang on. I need, I need a moment. Sorry, I just I just glossed over that. You just sort of said that like it was nothing. Uh, It was kind of like a comment in passing. Yeah, drop the mic and walk out the room. Um, Yeah, you you can just write your Java your your functions in JavaScript, right? So whatever function you want to do in JavaScript, whether that's look up a document or persist the document or you know do some queries and manipulate some documents, do cross document transactions. You know, all of that kind of stuff you can just write in 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 your logic in JavaScript, right? And save that JavaScript function on the server as a stored procedure, and then nice. just execute that 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 that, that, that function. I, I think you're just using that language to make the SQL people happy. I mean, it's yeah. it's a it, it, it's a method, right? It's a subroutine call. Like that's all it is. It's just if you want to call a stored procedure, that's fine. Yeah, um, but you know, there's actually some advantages to using stored stored procedures for certain kinds of operations. You know, if I'm mm-hmm. doing you know, batch processing rather than, you know, uh, calling, doing multiple round trips to the server. I make one, one trip to the server, kind of get the server to do a whole bunch of work really close to the data and then return one result back to me. Or, you know, with, with our stored procs, you can actually do uh, multi-document transactions. So I can, for instance, if I'm busy taking money from Carl and giving it to Richard, you know, I can do that um, across multiple documents in, 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 a, in an asset transaction. Which nice. is pretty cool to do, um, and uh, a lot of NoSQL databases kind of lose that capability. So these really are stored procedures. They're stored as part of the document store. Yeah, they're they're actually stored in the server, um, and, it, and, and they already have their query plans rendered for them, like a stored procedure would have. Um, so the query plan in in, in Document DB is, is 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 slightly different terminology, but. That, that, that function is cached. Yes. Yeah. So the first time you call that function, we load it up into memory and we kind of keep it in the, the JavaScript engine. And then subsequent calls to that function are, are already kind of there and, and, and ready to go. So yeah, it really is a stored procedure. So what happens when you hit that 
10 gigabyte limit, do you have to then have another collection at another $25 a month or something like that? What's the, what's the yeah. story there? So today, like I said, we've got these partitions in, 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 in 10 gigabytes. We're doing some work now to see, you know, with, with new hardware that we've got on board and some optimizations that we've made to the, to the engine, uh, whether or not we can lift that partition and what size we can lift it to. So. I wouldn't be surprised to see that number changing in the future sometime. Okay. Um, I'm not committing to it, but yeah, yeah that's okay. what we're looking at. Are there, are there um, any other challenges that people are talking about that, um, you know, are things that yeah, on, maybe on your wish list for, uh, development side? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's, um, a, a whole load of things that, that people are asking for. And, and, and the things that we're looking at today are, are, you know, probably one of the biggest asks that we that we have is this, or there's two, I, I would imagine, and that's being able to do uh, things like aggregates, so thing or, or calculations on the server, like being able to do some count, average, min, max, you know, that sort of stuff, um, and group by. You know, we don't have that yet today in the language, um, but that's one of the things that we're looking at, and how to, and, and how do we do that, and how do we do it efficiently? Mm. Uh, and then the other one that you know, people are asking from a developer point of view is this notion of um, skip and take. So, you know, to do typical paging. We, we we have paging today in the system, but it's this kind of like progressive paging. So start at the first page, give me the next page, give me the next page, give me the next page, right? We don't have this notion of, hey, give me the fifth page, give me the 47th page, give me the first page kind of thing. Um, and, and a lot of developers miss that kind of capability. So we're looking at how to do that efficiently. But you can imagine when you're doing that across, you know, hundreds of collections and and terabytes of data, that that becomes a little bit of a challenge to do efficiently. Because this the notion of skip um, is, hey, server, go do a whole bunch of work until you get to a point, then throw all that work away and now give me the next 50 records. Um, and as your collection starts getting bigger and bigger, and as you start moving further and further down your pages, you know, when you're on page 97 of 50, You've, you've made the server do a whole lot of work um, and then throw it away right. to get 50 records. So, you know, you'll see that there's a lot of posts online from uh, document data stores that say, don't do that sort of paging. You know, rather do the paging of like a continuous scroll. So put the first 50 records on the page. And then as the user scrolls past those, go fetch the next 50 records. You know, and then as the user scrolls past those, go fetch the next 50 kind of thing. So, and that's what we mean by this kind of progressive paging model. And, and we support that today, but we don't support this kind of random access notion of, of, of pages. So we're, we're, we're trying to see whether we, there is something we can do, um, with skip and take, uh, in an efficient manner. Um, so those are probably two of the big kind of, uh, ticket items that we're looking at at the moment. Well, I'm sold. I need more of this in my life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone had it. How do we get started? We just go access it through the portal and as another Azure resource? Yeah, so go to documentdb.com. It'll redirect you to our service page. There's a whole bunch of documentation there. There's some tutorials there, so you can actually go and build your first to-do list app with MVC and DocumentDB, or if you're a Node developer, you can go build a to-do list app with um, Express and Node. Uh, if you're a Python developer, you can go and build it using um, Python and, and Flask. So you can go follow those tutorials. And then on GitHub in each one of our SDK repos, there's a bunch of samples. So if you want to know how to create a database, how to create a collection, how to query for documents, how to do partitioning and build these partition resolvers, 
there's there are samples for all of that stuff. So you can That's go great. to GitHub and look for all those samples. And Just then, of course, follow, follow DocumentDB um, on the Azure blog, uh, azure.com forward slash blog, or at DocumentDB uh, is our Twitter handle. You can follow us there as well. You guys keep making it easier. Hey, Ryan, do you buy into this idea of, uh, we, we've talked about this number of times on the show, but using a, a NoSQL store like DocumentDB, even though it has SQL, don't talk about that, to, to do the initial capture of the data and then let the customer go, like you've, you've taken their order now, and then decomposing the document store into a relational store for reporting purposes? Uh, absolutely. You know, so I'm, uh, I heard you guys speaking, referring to a comment from a, from a user about this notion of polyglot persistence. Yeah. Um, and myself and a colleague did a Microsoft Virtual Academy session on polyglot persistence on Azure. Um, you know, where we spent eight hours kind of exploring all the different kind of options on Azure for all the different kinds of databases. So I'm, I'm, I'm a really big kind of fan of, of using the right tool for the right job. Sure. Um, and if, you know, uh, I'm, I'm also a big proponent of, of, of the notion of storing the same data in different kind of manners or, or optimizing your model for, you know, writing or for reading or for reading this way or for the, or reading that way. You know, this whole notion of of um, uh, uh, CQRS kind of support, where you you differentiate from your CRUD operations versus your your reporting kind of purposes and your reading purposes. So, absolutely, you know, if if you need to kind of use a document database as your transactional data and then kind of do this transformation into um, something that's friendlier for reporting purposes, and you've already done some pre-aggregations and, and, and that kind of stuff, and you've stored that data differently because that's how it's going to be reported on, then yes, absolutely. I, I definitely support that model. Sure. And I, and I just like the whole asynchronousness of it. Why wait? Make the customer wait while you decompose the data. Grab yeah, their data. You've got that journal entry. You've got the entry of the actual order at that moment. They're on their way. Data's <laughs> safe. Now I have a separate process kickoff that organizes that into the tools for analysis. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me too. Yeah, absolutely. Right tool for the right job because, you know, typically we've always compromised. You know, we've, we've either designed a model that's efficient for writing or we've designed a model that's efficient for reading. And then yeah. somebody always kind of loses. Um, and in yeah. this model, yeah, th there's a little bit more work and there's a little bit more moving parts to a solution, but now nobody has to compromise. There's also this idea that I could be rolling off this data from the document DB store in Azure as it becomes archival. I mean, once an order is an order, an order is an order. Like, let the month end, Absolutely. pull it local store or put it somewhere else, wind it down to an S1. Yep. Cause you, you, you've now got it aggregated somewhere else for doing analysis. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It doesn't need to be live. Yeah, absolutely. So you just keep your live transactional data in your live transactional database. Um, yeah. and what you're, you know, and you, you're paying us for, for, you know, you're, you're paying us good money for rich query capability. You're paying us for high write kind of throughput and you're paying us for low latency in that throughput. Um, but you know, once that order, you know, has been there or if you're archiving someone's tax records for five years, it doesn't need to stay in, in, in that high-speed, low-latency database. Move it off into blob storage or table storage where you don't care about rich query capability because you only ever want to read it by a customer's ID or by whatever. You know, Now move that old data out into, into much, much cheaper storage and leave your database for, for you know, important active current stuff. 
Now, and and one more thing here, and that would just be, you know, part I think part of the challenge people have with Azure is just, just so many things. <laughs> so there's also storage tables. Yeah. As would- well as document DB. I mean, wh- wh- how do you describe the relationship between them? Why would I choose one over the other? So table storage is a phenomenal storage mechanism, um, and it's dirt cheap. I mean, you're paying cents per gigabyte rather than dollars per gigabyte in document yep. DB. Um, but table storage really is a key value store, right? So yeah. store something by a key and then what you're storing is, is, is pretty much opaque because you're always retrieving it by that single key and then you can do a bunch of stuff. Now, document DB, you don't, it's not a key value store. I can have, um, like I said, any, any, any property in that JSON document is fully indexed for you. So right. you don't have only a single property that you can query on. Um, and document DB has got much lower kind of latency again. And that's specifically because we want to make sure that you have this very high write throughput and very low latency when you're doing reads and queries. So it really is designed for that, you know, the hot active current data. Table storage is brilliant for storing petabytes worth of data at cents per gigabyte. Um, right. If you need to query on it by a single key. But you're, yeah, you're also responsible if essentially for being efficient at getting at it. Yeah, so that, that's right. that's your job. Where Document DB seems to do a bunch of the work for you. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's why there is, um, there there, there are different beasts. I I really think of the one as a storage, you know, a, a place to store things, and the other one as a database. Um, right. You know, and and that's where there's this very big difference in price. Awesome, awesome, awesome. awesome. Ryan, thanks so much. This has been eye opening. Thank you, guys. It, it was a pleasure to be on the show. I've been a listener for a very long time, and um, it's it's great to be invited on, onto the show. All right, and good luck with DocumentDB. I'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot in the future. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a